This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show, where each week we discuss best practices in the field of customer experience management. I'm Tom DeWitt, Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bob Keipel, Vice President of CX of M and retired Global CX Executive with General Motors. Without any further ado, let's get this show on the road. Well, welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show. I'm Tom DeWitt, the Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by... Bob Keipel here, veteran of General Motors and vice president of CX of M. Yes, you are. And we're, <laughs> we're very proud of that. Uh, today, today, we're joined by Dave Fish. And Dave is the founder and CEO of Curiosity CX. Uh, Dave has a very interesting background, having, come, um, having earned a master's degree and a PhD in applied psychology with an emphasis on organizational behavior as well in his PhD. Um, a storied career in the in the marketing industry, including um, over 14 years with with Merits, which is now Merits CX. Um, thanks for joining us today, Dave. Um, we're, we we brought you here uh, to learn a little bit more about you and your background, um, as well as to talk about a, a column. Um, that you wrote for Customer Think and, and now which is published on the CX of M blog. Now, if I might add, um, Dave is a regular contributor, a regular columnist with Customer Think. Um, we're happy to have him on the CX of M and blog now. Uh, he also regularly delivers presentations on customer experience management at industry conferences and um, delivers workshops and in addition to the daily work that he does with Curiosity CX. Um, as somebody who holds a PhD as well, which we know stands for piled higher and deeper, um, I'm intrigued by, by your degree, Applied Psychology, and uh, how it led you to the field of marketing. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I went to uh, Claremont, uh, Claremont Graduate School or Claremont Graduate University now. It's part of the Claremont Colleges down in Southern California, and uh, the whole program is sort of structured. Uh, the, the joke was uh, about a third of us go off to do good uh, through the universities, a third do really good stuff uh, with, with nonprofits, and a third go into evil, which is for commercial profits. So I'm in the, I guess the, I try not to do so too So you're much the evil, evil one? Yeah, yeah, so it was really, the whole program was kind of uh, geared around of application and um, in my career, I always, I, I never, I love theory in so much as in forms of solving a problem. Um, and so, you know, if you look back at my career, that's where I always straddle the, the sort of the strategic and applied because strategy without application is kind of, uh, uh, you know, not very useful. So that's, that's sort of, uh, that's that program and why I went there and why I enjoyed it. So um, let me ask you just a question about CX in general before I ask my other question. Um, when, when do you guys think CX was born? You know, because it feels like it's kind of a new thing, but you've been doing it for a while. What, what hatched it and when? You know, I, I 
a, as a formal discipline, it's fairly new. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of like how market research was when that first started in what the 40s and 50s, where a lot of different disciplines kind of started muscling in um, and contributing uh, to that discipline from psychology and sociology, anthropology and so forth. You kind of have that same thing going on with CX. And I get a lot of people saying, hey, I want to learn more about CX. I've been Is there a good book? And there are a lot of good books, but there's not sort of that seminal um, sort of book that everyone should read. In my mind, I don't know if you guys feel differently. Uh, so it's, it's sort of as a formal discipline, I think, uh, you know, that's, that's Michigan State is, is kind of taking a lead on, on getting that together as, as, as a recognized discipline. Of course, CXPA has been around for some years now and, and kind of carrying the torch. Uh, but it's still very much in its infancy. You know, to answer your question in terms of where it got started, it's always been around. Man. It's like, uh, I think we just, maybe some corporations forgot about it. If you go to your local hardware store, um, you go down there and they know your name. Uh, they, you know, they, they know what you want, what you do, and they're, they're able to kind of make recommendations for what you need. And, and if they're a good business in a small town, which you've got to be to survive, they're going to treat you well. And so I think what happened is as companies became larger, um, and they, they started growing apart from the customer and they started uh, putting efficiency and engineering and all these other disciplines in front of what was important for the customer. And so um, I think it's always been with us. We just forgot <laughs> in the large businesses. And so Dave, how did you ultimately decide to create um, Curiosity CX and what, what does Curiosity CX do? Yeah. So, I mean, all of uh Everything makes sense looking backwards, but it doesn't always make sense going forward. So if you look back on my career, uh, where, I, where I'm at right now um, makes perfect, you know, it's ideal for, for me. Um, I started in, in banking, um, in OD, organizational development, in an HR department, and I quickly figured out that and typically there's not a lot of analytical sort of number crunchers in HR departments. So I was helping out with selection testing and, uh, you know, helping out with their attitudinal survey. We had this uh, one program called the Internal Service Survey where every department evaluated every other department. Um, and so I basically ran that whole thing. Um, and then uh, one day, I, uh, they, they made a mistake of giving me access to their uh, HR database, and I was able to kind of plot out salaries and notice I was way down here at the end of the tail. Um, <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so, but I did a lot of fun stuff there. We were able to do sort of early linkage stuff, uh, looking at the relationship between uh, branch attitudes from their in employees and the branch performance in terms of the customer sat and branch performance in terms of performance variables such as CD retention, you know, deposit growth, stuff like that. So that was sort of like my early venture into that, looking at, you know, the raw material of people um, and what do they contribute to CX and it turns out there's a lot there. And then I, I moved over into um, the world of product and I worked for Toyota Motor Sales now with Toyota Motor North America. And, uh, and that really got my focus on, you know, products and what that aspect of customer experience and people, you know, drive, spend a lot of times in their vehicles and they have a lot of attitudes about their vehicles. It's, a, you know, maybe the second, third or fourth most expensive thing you're going to buy. And so um, it was really fun uh, learning and, and working with customers and understanding what they want, what they don't want. Um, worked on a couple of launches, uh, Sequoia, um, RAV4, Tundra was the big one. And then, I moved over to JD Power um, and ran their proprietary wing for a little while, um, and then ultimately ended up at Merits. So Merits was sort of the research customer sat world. And I, I quickly, when I moved from Toyota to, to customer sat, now 
a lot of it's called CX. I learned that market research and CX are very different. So in market research, we're we tending to look at like product and the, 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 the collection of P's, right? Yeah. Uh, understand consumer behavior. Um, when you move into to the old, I'd say the old world of customer sat, it, it quickly dawned on me, this isn't really research at all. It, it, in a lot of cases, you work in a GM, Bob, you probably recognize this. It's, it's, it can be kind of a compensation system in some cases. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, where, where dealers are like worried about their scores. And in the best case, they're, you know, they're trying to do the right thing and taking this information and doing like an OD thing within the dealership. Um, uh, the worst case scenario, they're kind of just like chasing numbers around. So uh, that was a big eye opener to me. Um, I eventually ended up as CMO and in charge of product development. I lived through the, um, the craziness of the software disruption in the CX uh, arena, our, our, our space. Um, we did an acquisition of uh, Allegiance. Um, and then uh, I had enough, I was traveling a lot. And I really wanted to move on from just measuring stuff to making an impact. So I started working at this company here in Bentonville called the Mars Agency. And they work with, uh, they're the sharper marketing, uh, sharper marketing uh, agency of record for this little company called Walmart. And they wanted me to run their behavioral science and their CX practice. And I said, great. So kind of got in there and started uh, working with those folks. Um, but the thing about organizations is you can't get beyond sort of your, your heritage and who you are at your core. And the Mars Agency was a fabulous place to work, but in its in its core, it's a marketing agency. So if your strawberries are rotten, <laughs> there's no amount of signage <laughs> or communications that's gonna correct that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I then did one more stint, and finally I just opened up my shop here at Curiosity. And, and we're trying to not just look at product, not just trying to look at employee, not just trying to look at the operations part or the communications part, the idea of curiosity is to take all these disciplines and look across and say, how can we improve the customer experience? Not just this little part that you happen to be in charge of, but let's look at, you know, let's flip it around. Let's not look at it from a functional standpoint. Let's look at it from a, a holistic customer experience and then work with organizations, which is a big part of what the whole market research is. They, they, sometimes they, they say, here's the report and that's it. What we're trying to do here at Curiosity is say, yes, here's some opportunities areas and we would like to work with your organization to, to bring those to life to actually affect enduring change uh, to make a positive impact on the customer so that's that's my uh, that's that's sort of what we try to do here um, you know varying degrees of success but that's that's our our true north <laughs> so yeah, thanks so, so you're tripping across uh, like the culture of the company or the clients that you're dealing with right I mean it's a pretty fundamental stuff yeah and what's what's the what what how do you how can you tell if uh, okay this is a client that is really gonna pick this up and start going? Um, generally, you need to have a powerful change agent on the client side uh, who's not a willing who's willing to uh, really shake things up, and then you need to have a, a senior, a very senior person above him or her uh, that are willing to be there, um, the, to willing to like say yeah let's do it. And the larger the organization, the more difficult that is. Um, smaller organizations, so I work with a, small, a few um, smaller manufacturers and, uh, and retailers. They can, they, can, they can say, yep, you know, you get the, you get the, the CEO and the, the president in the room to say, yep, this is what we're going to do. Let's make it happen. Um, and and they, can, they can change quickly. Um, so those, those are the conditions. When you have very large, older 
mature organizations, those are those behavioral tracks are run so deep, mm. it's really hard to turn those ships. Um, so uh, it's, the smaller, more nimble organizations are more apt to be able to uh, affect sustainable change. And for the larger organizations, you know, are they are they doomed? No. I mean, what what they typically do is um, in order to like kind of change radically, they'll they'll spin off. You know, they'll spin off a startup. Um, and then I'll be supported. And that's usually in talking with some of these change management people, usually where you see the, the biggest success in terms of organizations being able to change is uh, kind of starting a new bud. <laughs> and, and, the, and, and those organizations kind of take, take the lead for the, the direction of the, the larger company. That sounds like a, a great topic. We could spend a whole podcast talking about. We'll to, <laughs> let's schedule that for the future. Um, <laughs> So besides your really interesting background, the creation of Curiosity uh, CX, um, we wanted to bring you here to talk about a column of yours that was recently published in the CX of M blog. Uh, you write about the passing of your father and the customer experiences that that triggered. Uh, first of all, I'm really sorry for your loss. I, I know it's like to lose a parent, um, but can you tell us why you chose to write about this series of experiences? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of appropriate for these times, too. Um, it, it just, when something really dramatic happens in your life, then you know sort of who you're, who you can rely on, who you can't. And it, you remember that. Like, when you, like an insurance, when you have a claim um, and it gets screwed up and you are stressed out, you you remember it. If they did it well, you're like, I'm going to stay with them the rest of my life. They, they So when you're stressed out, um, and it, that that those are moments of truth that, that people remember, and that's as I was driving uh, home, I started you know the, the stuff I write about usually starts with something that's bugging me or something I want to kind of get out, and so that that's where that all that was the genesis of that that story and that observation. You had a, obviously, I mean, so when something like this happens to somebody, you're kind of in a fog, like you're not as functional as you might normally be, and. Um, in some ways it feels like to me like some kind sometimes you're taken advantage of because you don't the, the other party has the upper hand in a way like you know what I mean you had some negative experiences like what was the worst one what was the most negative what made it that way oh man well yeah we'll start in reverse with, with the, the worst one was um my mom had a had a vehicle which she had financed or leased actually through a captive finance company, and it wasn't General Motors and it wasn't Toyota. I'll just leave it was a captive finance company, um, and it was just handled really poorly. Uh, it was it took uh, so the situation was the vehicle was in my father's name, and she was driving it, and she moved from Pennsylvania to Arkansas, and so. You know, my mom likes to keep on top of stuff. So when she moved here, she wanted to get her license changed, well, the, the plate. Well, you can't get the plate changed until you have ownership of the vehicle. Um, this vehicle was registered in my dad's name, who obviously had passed away. So this creates a huge quandary. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how difficult it is to get a, a change in ownership of a captive finance company from one state to the other when the owner is deceased. So it started with, we couldn't get access to any of his information because, you know, you know, like most people, they have a, a series of note cards or a black book, which they scribble passwords and so forth on. And it's just a mess. So, you know, I couldn't, 
you couldn't even get into his iPad because, you know, I didn't have his body around to put his thumb on it, right? So uh, just getting access to the information was really difficult. And it was just, I won't belabor it, but there was, they, this call center can only communicate by fax. Um, I had to, somehow my mom was stuck in this limbo of having financial responsibility for the vehicle, but not being able to get it registered, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. She's just trying to be a good citizen and get her car registered. And so she can get insurance on it. Uh, so anyway, three months later, uh, after me, several conversations and me actually having a, a tweet, a tantrum, <laughs> I got the attention of uh, their captive finance company in, in their, their executive office. And so this woman uh, who called, uh, again, she was just trying to do her job. And, and she became my liaison into this captive finance company and kind of helped move all the pieces around the finally get this thing resolved after three or four uh, months of, of wrangling. And, you know, my mom's elderly as well. And so this is very upsetting to her. She doesn't know if she's going to lose her car or what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, she, the imagination goes wild. So anyway, that was, that was probably the, the worst one. And it's just, it seemed that this company coming back to sort of practical application, you know, millions of people die every year in this country and, and millions of people have spouses that, who don't own those vehicles. So this can't be an isolated incident. So why aren't these folks looking at the journey, this particular journey of, of a, a spouse passing away? And why aren't they looking at that process and revising it and making it simpler uh, for the survivors? Um, because I can tell you, I'm not going to buy another comp- another car from those guys. So uh, yeah, if they could just like learn from that and make those improvements and restructure themselves and something as simple as like, DocuSign to sign documents would, would have made it really, really simple. And I wouldn't be on a podcast complaining about it with you guys right now. So. Yeah. Well, you've kind of touched on this already, but what, what's the incentive for service providers to make it easier in this space in these situations? Well, if you think about, let's take that worst case scenario, right? How many contacts did I have with that call center? How many, how many, how much documentation was done? How much labor was caught, lost? because of their inefficiency to deal with the situation. And then, so that's sort of the, the cost part of it. Now let's look, um, people tend to be brand loyal more or less with their vehicles. And so, you know, let's look at the lifetime value, uh, not only of my mom is probably not gonna buy maybe one more, maybe not car, uh, but I'm never gonna do it. I'm on a podcast, I'm talking about my experience, I'm not gonna name the brand. But I've told friends and family, I've written a blog about it that thousands of people have, written, uh, have, uh, have read. So that's that. You know, not everyone gets screwed by a blogger. Um, but uh, the, nevertheless, the downstream advocacy and retention is the other reason. So there's a real business case for making this investment. Um, it's just it's just common sense in my mind. I mean, it sounds like common sense, but like to me, I'm, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call anybody out specifically too, but like you go to a funeral home and if you haven't done it to recent memory or you did it a while ago and you forgot about it, you don't even know like what the options are. And it's a weird environment and you know, it's just, it's just a strange deal. And then all of a sudden you get like this sticker shock, at least I did like oh my god I didn't know you know here I am like a greedy person and everything is like super expensive and then you find yourself asking questions like well what do most people do or what's you know yeah and you're just like a hostage like you you're really not in control 
Yeah, there's a couple of uh, classes that I think universities should teach. One is applying for grad school, another one's getting married, another one's buying a house, another one's like the, the funeral thing, right? These are things that you run into like once, twice in your life, and you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> and so I think you're right, like the funeral expense and, and even weddings, it's like buying a house, all these like third party things, like I didn't know how to do that. You know, of course you do, and you, you don't know any better. So um, to your point, Bob, there's probably better and worse ways of, of handling that. And uh, funeral homes are big business, I mean, they're, Anybody, is there anybody like since you put this out there um your blog did, is there anybody that you found that does do a good job in this space of customer experience no what like with specifically having to do with um trying to deal with the death of somebody um does anybody take a good yeah so like the, in the article i wrote i was i was talking about delta airlines and you know, I, I always, I, I rail on airlines a lot. They have a hard job, right? They, they, not many businesses run 24 seven and, and ruin people's businesses potentially, or uh, are their vacations because of, through no fault of their own many times because of the weather or not. So it's a high stakes game. And so when I was, all this went down, I was in Boston on a research, uh, we're doing in homes or focus, I don't even know. I got a call from my mom that my dad passed away. And I'm like, okay, so, I had to rearrange all, you know, cause we were doing all this stuff across the nation. Um, and I had to re rental cars and I had to just get home to you know, obviously, you know, get things organized before I continue on the research. Um, and so I called Delta airlines and, um, talked to a guy there and he sounded like, um, uh, you know, Lieutenant winners. All right. From band brothers. You guys see that movie, the uh, band brothers, you know, yeah. like rich baritone. He's like, you know, so anyway, I was like, I was talking to him and right in the middle of it, I just kind of broke down and he's like, no, I, I understand what you're going through. And, um, you know, he just went and he just kind of moved heaven and earth, uh, to, you know, get my flights changed, uh, waive the fees and just, you know, in that moment of truth, he was like in the, in the middle of that highway in somewhere in new England. Um, he was like, you know, my life preserver really. And so, you know, it comes, it comes down to people doing their jobs, loving their jobs and having empathy. I mean, if you really need to boil it down to what CX is about, it's about people having empathy for their customers and trying to do the right thing for them. Um, and having companies that allow those people to do their jobs well. In this case, Delta Airlines gave this guy enough rope um, to, to do what he needed to do to make this experience really good. Or Lieutenant Winters just said, screw it. This guy needs some help. I'm going to do it for him. Either way, I'm here talking to you about it today. And, uh, and I really appreciate Delta Airlines for what they did in that situation. Yeah. I like the idea of, you know, preparing inherently good people with consistent processes. Um, and with your background, what would you say, how do we find the good people? Is the recruiting process right these days? Yeah, no, I have a surprising opinion on that. So I worked a lot of time, a fair amount of time in, in selection testing and, and selecting bank tellers and loan consultants and stuff like that. And uh, and when we, I guess, the, the long story short, um, you, you select for raw talent uh, around uh, customer um, customer skills, and then you teach them the technical stuff. Um, and I, I just believe that you find, you meet these people and, um, and there's people who just work really well on client services roles and other people who are maybe not suited for that and, and they should maybe do something else. I mean, um, so, so I think it's, it's really finding the people who are good in terms of having that, that empathy 
um, having that, that little bit of neuroticism in, in terms of caring about the customer and making sure they're okay. That's who really works well in frontline roles uh, when it comes to customer handling. Disney is a great example of how they hire. They hire for talent for seasons. Again, hire, hire for talent. And then they, they make sure that the DNA of the company and CX, and they don't even talk about CX really. They just, this is how we do things. This is how we te- treat guests. Um, they, it's just part of who they are. It's, it's rolled up and that's who they select for. So, yeah. so, so while, while you offer a great example, a positive example with Delta um, and some of your other examples you, you cite being handed off from department to department, uh, what, what, what does that say about the organization's culture and what they value? Well, it's always the, it's always the um, tug of war between functional efficiency and client, um, client um, ease or ease of, ease of use, I guess. So organizations tend to, you know, if we put all the accounts together, we get a lot of uh, efficiency. If we put all, if we put all the call centers together, we get a lot of efficiency. So, the, the urge of efficiency um, is, is great, but what that does is it creates, you know, wait for it, silos, right? <laughs> and, so, and so what happens is it's there, the organizations tend to get functionally organized versus organized according to the customer journey. Um, now, if we take it the extreme and we organize just by the journey, well, that, that becomes problematic too, because then you lose best practices, you lose some of the efficiency. That's the struggle that organizations have. So the biggest one in terms of an opportunity that you're seeing companies do now, um, and a lot of people are talking about it, is the chief customer officer. So that role, though, is so ill-defined. Um, sometimes it's someone from the call center. They say, hey, not, you're, you're now the chief customer officer. It's like, okay, well, I still run the call center. Uh, but the companies that really take it seriously, like someone like Walmart here, uh, we have Jamie Whitesides over here. She's in charge of operations. and She's really where the rubber hits the road in terms of the organization and pulling together the operations and the marketing side so they're, they're working together and trying to not look at it from an operation standpoint or an HR or, or a, a marketing standpoint, but really try to bring these people together, flip it around, say, hey, this is the customer journey. This is how we need to show up and pull those different functional areas together to create that experience. That's, that's, um, that's how you do it. It's hard to do, though. Yeah, that's an awesome, um, you know, I really appreciate what you said about, you know, because you could jump to say, oh, everything should just be 100% customer focused. And then you, you just said, but then you lose some efficiency. Super interesting. Um, your examples in, in your blog uh, really point out that some of these organizations really were on the uh, our efficiency point of view as opposed to the customer point of view end of the scale there. Um, how can a company or an organization check themselves to know that they're doing it right. How can you look at yourself and your own organization and see where you are on that spectrum? Yeah, I think that the first thing you want to do is um, uh, if, you, if you don't have some kind of listening posts in place, the first thing you do is you just get the organization exposed to their customers. Um, in there, you know, better yet, if you can, I mean, focus groups are, are so, uh, some passe to some degree, but the great good they do is they get they get executives to see their customers one on one. Now I think organizations that are very customer centric just naturally do that, but sometimes you need that shot. So I think first of all, just getting the organization exposed to your customers and what they're saying 
um, getting some kind of formalized uh, metrics in place uh, to understand those moments of truth across the organization, across the experiences that are people having, people are having many times those, even those, those measurement systems tend to get censored in terms of uh, they bracket off some part like path to purchase, right? Uh, we're in marketing. We only care about getting people to buy stuff, right? We're going to start from, from the catalyst to purchase. And after that, we don't care about them, right? Mm-hmm. That's a really bad way of looking at it in my mind. I mean, if, you're, if that's your job, that's what you got to do, right? But we should be looking from all the way from sort of the catalyst. Why did they decide to buy or use your product or service all the way to termination or, or uh, you know, disposal and understanding that whole journey from end to end. Um, and then it's amazing when you get a cross, uh, cross-functional group of people in a room and you have one guy from marketing and one guy from operations and they have no idea what the other one does. And they, they start looking at this overall journey and they're like, oh my God, I didn't know that you did this up here because we do this down here and it's kind of, it doesn't work so well together. And so just having the meaning of that dialogue, that's, that's, that's beyond research, right? We're now we're talking about getting people within the organization talking with one another we're starting to talk about organizational awareness and organizational ultimately change, which is what we need to do to change the customer experience, the customer experience, the experience in general. Yeah. And, and so what's like an early warning sign? Like if you're at a company and you're just plowing along, you're making money, you know, you're doing okay, you know, but you're not really paying too much attention to it. What's a, like a red flag that would, that would change a leader's mind? You know, earlier you talked about you really need a top leader to focus on this. Yeah, so there, there's a there's a book that came out. I think it's called When Giants Fall, and, it, and another professor in a period of names talks about organizational inertia. Um, so we are um, big companies are um, they they become most vulnerable when they're the most successful. So uh, mm. so Steve Merritt's former uh, well still chairman of uh, Merritt's company it's used to say the seeds of disaster are sown in the good times and so true so when you are doing really well um, you just you just you're not maybe making the investments in the new areas that you should make be making because you're making so much money over here it's hard to justify investing in dot com when it's only five percent of your business right now but you know 2010 five I don't know that's going to be most of your business but it's hard to justify that secondly when organizations get in trouble, um, they go back to, like we all do, we go back to what worked well. We will go back and we double down and we just say, hey, mm-hmm. if we just do more of what we always did, it's going to be fine. And that's what mm-hmm. time and time again, you see, the, let's just do more of what we did. And, and, and I, I lived through that, man. It's, uh, you need to pay attention and you need to really listen to the oddballs that roll into your organization with a different point of view. And you really need to look at the disruptors that are out there because – once upon a time, Medallia was uh, was a nobody. They were a nuisance. <laughs> and then they became kind of a big deal in about 2000. <laughs> Same thing with Qualtrics. Once upon a time, they were just this odd little company out of Utah. And, you know, they made software for surveys. And they just acquired for $8 billion from SAP. So, you know, you got to pay attention to the, the meek. They, they do tend to inherit the earth. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I just read this saying, um, which I really like, which is generals are always trying to fight the last war. Or something like that. Yeah. Where, sorry, could you, I didn't hear you. Girls are always trying to fight the last war. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 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 So if you're the CEO and you just say, ah, don't worry about it, just keep doing what we always did, that would be like a huge red flag for me. <laughs> so um, 
Dave, uh, you know, you, you've identified organizations like insur- life insurance companies and funeral homes that, that should be prepared for, for these kind of situations. Um, what, what about, you know, you brought up the automotive company. Uh, why, why should companies that normally aren't in, in this space, why should they be prepared for situations such, such as those that you've uh, proposed? And, and what steps can they take to create a more positive customer experience when they do happen? Yeah, I, I think, um, well, first of all, if it's something that affects their customer in such a dramatic fashion, um, it's obviously should become a priority for the organization and, and learning um, how to deal with it. I don't think any organization wants to make their customers angry or upset them. It's just that they're not organized um, to, to do so. In order, in, in, in terms of preparedness, um, it comes back to listening, right? So understanding what areas um, are areas of friction or pain for their customers today, um, understanding why that is, um, and then taking steps to fix it. <laughs> and those sound like really simple steps, but it's amazing how many people don't do it. They either don't listen, or if they do listen, they don't really know the root cause or take the time to understand what the root cause is. Um, and then if they do have the root cause, come up with some solution and then deploy that solution. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. Most of them are monetary and time. Um, and so what you got to do is kind of triage things. And uh, curiosity, our approach to triaging, we take a, a page from design thinking and we talk about, you know, uh, desirability, which is what customers want, uh, feasibility, um, how hard would it be to do, and then viability. How much money is this going to save us or how much money is this going to make us? And you really have to balance all three of those. So the example I always give is what's the ideal ratio of waiter to customer? Well, it's one to one, but if every restaurant had a waiter for every customer, they quickly go to business. So we have to, we have to balance those things. But the point is to have some kind of system to do that, to, to rapidly prototype and deploy solutions and assess whether they work or not and then, then tweak them and, and move forward. So, um, there is a process for doing this, and that's what I like to do for a living. So, if anyone needs it, let me know. Well, we're we're really glad you do what you do, and um, thanks a lot for joining us today. I'm afraid our time's come to a close. Uh, hopefully, we'll have the opportunity to talk to you again in the future. Yeah, thanks, maybe, guys. Yeah, maybe 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 around some of the topics that we touched on today. Thank that's you. great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tom and Bob Show. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. After all, you're our customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.